Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat Podcast on the Serious Angler Network. Guys, tonight we have got an awesome show lined up, um, one that I am very excited excited to talk about. We have in our bottom corner here Omnia as one of our partners for 2022, and we have none other than the co-founder himself, Matt Johnson, coming on. Um, a lot of really unique things in the tackle space, uh, the online tackle retailer, and some some unique uh, aspects of their business that I uh, I've uh, taken a lot of interest in, and am happy to get him on and talk about all that he's got going. Matt, how are you? Good. How you doing, Adam? I am doing well, man. Good. I am doing well. Hopefully, you are surviving the winter in the great white north. <laughs> I guess not great white north, but you're you're north. We're way up here. Yeah, it's uh, it's below zero right now, so we're trying to stay in and hibernate a little bit. Hibernate, man. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, you are in the place with so many, so many lakes. I've spent just a little bit of time in Minnesota, uh, both uh, one time with work in Minneapolis and then another time fishing. Um, but I just uh, guess have some awesome country and a lot of untapped uh, and tapped waters, but just just so much water. Definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's hard not to run into one. I actually grew up on Lake Superior, the biggest of them all. So, um, used to being around water all the time. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, great. Well, Matt, um, I guess I really wanted to get you on the show to, uh, basically get a history on Omnia, but first let's dig into yourself. What really brought you here? Um, maybe talk a little bit about your career leading up to this, and uh, that's kind of what this show is all about. So um, I guess, where did things kind of start for you uh, on the career side? And then we'll kind of maybe go into the fishing or vice versa, however you want to do things. Yeah, well, I'm happy to do it. Actually, all kind of blends together. Um, I, I haven't had a real job in quite a few years because um, <laughs> I've been in the fishing world for 10. So, But that's almost all by accident. Um, I actually started out as a lawyer and uh, was okay. practicing law and, and uh, met a good friend of mine. This was about 2000, uh, 2007 to 2010 was practicing law. I uh, met a friend of mine and we came up with this idea. We were actually on a boat and we were looking at a depth finder and we were just watching the screen, just scroll and scroll and scroll. And uh, we decided that you should be able to harness that information. And so in 2010, we left our jobs and we started a company. The company was called Contra Innovations. And uh, we created this mapping service where basically you go out and log your sonar, upload it to your account, and it would kick out a map for you. And uh, we realized like we could create a lot of cool stuff with that. Um, and so the first one, the first people that we actually sold the service to was uh, were government agencies, and they were using it to use sonar to map invasive plants. And so while originally like we got the idea as anglers, we ended up creating this business out of this this government tool that they could uh, monitor invasive plants. They could actually, we could show them not only where the bottom was and how hard the bottom was, um, but we could tell them uh, the top of plant in the water column, which is really important from the from a biological standpoint. And so we got a lot of traction with that business. And uh, and then we had contacts with uh, the people at Lowrance. And um, they asked us if we wanted to work together on creating a consumer product. And so I don't know if, if you or, or any of your listeners are familiar with a product called Insight Genesis. Absolutely. But, yeah, so we basically took our platform and, and created Insight Genesis with Lawrence, and uh, and then they bought the company in 2014, and so I spent the next couple of years working for Lawrence. And my job went from being CEO of a software company to 
being head of business development for the digital arm of Lorenz. And that meant I got to fly all over the world and get out on boats with people and teach them how to use this mapping service. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so I got to go to like 17 countries and, and fish all over the place. And, uh, it was a, it was a pretty cool deal. That's incredible. I mean, just, uh, so, so, uh, I remember when, uh, inside Genesis was really first kind of coming out, I believe I was in college and the, uh, and fishing in college and whatnot. And there was like a competition for the amount of, uh, I don't even know if it was acres or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, that was my program. That's that's crazy that you know that. That's that's right. That was like 2000. That's probably 2015. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, man. So uh, no, that would have cool. been my freshman year of college, and uh, that's uh, that is wicked. What a I just I've been with this podcast. It's crazy how many connections you end up finding. Just the fishing world small, but that is that's incredible. So that was your program basically. And it was like incentivized. I mean, there was like kids mapping forever and ever. And in Colorado, we've got just a couple of small lakes. So it's a pain in the like, I mean, I could just do laps around my same lake, but it was, it was incredible. Uh, some guys were dedicated to that program. Yeah, they definitely were. Um, it was, it was a great program. And, and, uh, you know, we have to be really careful on in the fishing world of like sharing information or giving away spots. And I think the first thought was if you go out and map an area and then, um, and then upload it and you made it public that that would give away spots. But, but what really ended up happening was we're all using the same old government maps for the most part. And, and even some of the top brands were just digitizing government maps. So what ends up happening is everybody who thinks they know the lake and they know the spots um, based on those maps, they actually were getting that information all from the same spots. So what, when, you, when you started creating uh, these really detailed maps using user data, um, all these people were collaborating and it was showing that the humps looked different and there were more of them and there were holes in spots that people, um, didn't really know about actually ended up dispersing the anglers a little bit. Um, so we got a really a lot of traction, um, from helping people kind of collaborate and build better mapping. Um, so that was a super fun project. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And during that process, I, I formed a lot of relationships with, uh, with people in the industry and I'd always been an angler, but I didn't know the business of fishing. And, uh, and so through my, through that process of head of business development for Lawrence, uh, I got to meet a lot of people and, and honestly, I was kind of looking for my next thing. And, uh, and through lots of conversations, we came up with the idea for Omnia and the idea was like, everybody is trying, you know, you go to the tackle store and for the most part, a lot of, uh, dedicated anglers know what they're looking for. Um, sure. it's pretty overwhelming for the majority of people. And you're looking at, uh, a, a husky jerk bait that comes in three sizes and three dive depths and 75 different colors. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's a lot of selection, but the, but the cool thing about it is for the most part, they've been built for specific clarities and structures and species and time of year. Um, yeah. so we said, we're going to build a platform to try and create a really personalized shopping experience. And what we're going to take some of the details that we know about how to, to map data. And, uh, and so what we did is we built an algorithm that basically associates values of the water body like clarity and structure present forage base um, location time of year pattern things like that species present and we'll match them up with key products and uh, and then have a system that learns and gets smarter and smarter and smarter and so the goal is to just try and help people gain confidence in their tackle selection and gear um, and try to create this very personalized experience what ends up happening is you build these communities uh, similar to my first my first company 
uh, build these communities around water bodies for people to talk about, uh, you know, they're hitting on this specific X zone, soft plastic and a drop shot on the edge of a weed line. And now we don't have to talk about location, but we can talk about products and we can talk about what works in real time. Take that 75 different colors and, and quickly start narrowing it down to, to five or 10. And, uh, and that was our goal to just try and help and transition some of the, the sales to online, uh, especially for the demographic of angler who, who is pretty overwhelmed and is seeing a pretty uh, rapidly declining in experience in store. And so uh, we started talking about it and, and I built a, a, a group of, of founders. There's three of us now. One's an industry vet and has been around tackle and, and uh, the space for a very long time. And one's a technologist and the three of us came together and, and, uh, and created Omnia. Awesome, man. Well, so that's, my, that's how I accidentally fell into fishing for 10 years. I never <laughs> intended that to happen, but here we are. That's, I, I feel like that's uh, people's best careers are, are, were never intended, you know, accident, um, yeah. from that aspect of things. Um, but man, that's such a, such a cool story. And, and to me, the, uh, the things I think that, that create the best products are the situations that solve problems. And like you said, um, when it comes to a, a high level tournament angler or something, you know what you're looking for when it comes to tackle selection, but we have to remember, and I think this is important for the entire fishing industry, the vast majority of people get fi fishing and people getting into fishing have no, no high level don't have nearly that high of a level. And I feel like too many times we just assume and including myself on the show all the time. It's like, I start talking about something and it's like, there's probably a lot of people who maybe don't necessarily understand that. So, uh, I think that's a, a great thing to remember in the fishing industry in general is that we're not all, uh, just absolute nuts and, and you have to help people kind of get into things. Uh, and I think that this is a, a great concept. Yeah. I, th I think you you hit it right on the head. When we looked at the numbers, we were amazed like 85% of tackle sales are still happening in store. And an overwhelming majority of that happened between two key big box retailers and, uh, and that's just not right. I, and, and, you know, they're pushing into private labels. They just, I don't think that they're trying to create a better experience for the anglers. Um, and that's really what we're dedicated to. We're trying to create a better experience. And, and I think you nailed it when you said, um, for the most part, people need help. That's why they're still going in. That, that's that question. Where are you going and what do you want to catch? And I'm hoping that somebody knows and they can give me the products to give me that confidence and instruct me along the way. Um, and I have been absolutely blown away by the number of tournament anglers who want to be a part of our system that mm -hmm. buy a lot of tackle from us. And then they'll actually report um, the lakes that they used it on. And they, they don't talk about location, but they talk about um, what products are working. Um, a lot of those guys have relationships with brands and, uh, and they get to highlight, you know, this was the bait and they get to show the fish that they caught it on. Um, and so then what we do then is surround that whole experience. Uh, you're talking about table rock talking about this specific technique, here are the baits that match, here are the colors that match the clarity values. Um, and then we create a lot of contact with content in-house and with our pros that then explain drop shotting is hot right now. Here's how you rig a drop shot. Here's the three most popular drop shotting uh, hooks. Here's the three most popular drop shotting soft plastics. Um, here's the reel and, and the, the, um, the spinning reel you should be thinking about using. Here's the action of the rod. And we try and surround that whole thing and it becomes kind of this education experience as part of the purchase process. Um, and that's exactly what we set out to do is essentially replace that, that in-store experience um, and, uh, and do it with tons and tons of selection. I mean, we're very quickly becoming one of the largest selections online. 
but we recognize that just having more selection isn't necessarily right for the for the bulk of anglers so we want to have massive amount of selection for the tournament angler that knows, knows what they're looking for we don't want to miss a sale there but we also want to refine that set down um, for somebody that needs a little help uh, and the nucleus of that experience really is location and lake uh, and so we've really built that whole system and we had just been on a rocket ship it's been such a fun ride so far that's awesome awesome and and uh founded in 2018 is that correct is when okay. the ball started rolling yeah so uh we left our jobs in 2018 um you could transact on the site by kind of early 2019 but okay. we really couldn't you couldn't deliver on the whole experience uh, 2020 was really our first full year and like you, you know covid hit so it was a very <laughs> weird thing what was cool is it forced everybody to try and figure out how to buy tackle online uh -huh. and here we were ready for it so uh people asked if we knew that that pandemic was coming and we say yep we did. Absolutely. We timed yeah. it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was worried, is 2021 going to be slow now that people can go buy in store? And it was definitely not slow. So that was a, that was a, that was a good thing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think, uh, along that point, like as far as recessions or, or everything, anything in that matter, like some of the best businesses are created during those time periods or when something right. like that happens, we're seeing such a jump in the fishing industry in general of, new people coming in and it, it's kind of one of those deals where a uh, rising tide raises all ships or however that goes but basically um you know it's it's a good time to be in the fishing industry and i'm glad to hear you got in literally at the best time <laughs> yeah as far as with omnia that is yeah i mean we had so much demand we actually had trouble last year because i think our skew count went we had like ten thousand products last year kind of at the height of the season um right. and we operated with almost a 50 percent in stock rate we didn't have the relationships built yet with the vendors. We, you know, we didn't have our orders in early enough because we were so new. Um, and so we lost a lot of sales. We just missed a ton of sales just because we couldn't get the products and we could sell anything we'd get in. We have this feature on the site where if you're looking for something, you can go in and, and, uh, and click uh, notify me when it's back in stock. Yep. yep. We'd have uh, nine zillion reels come in from Daiwa and, and they would be checked in by our inventory team and they would go right back out the door in 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Just and That's we could crazy. Make it man. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was like the downside of the whole thing. So <laughs> we did great. But um, and but now we're going into 2022 with millions in inventory. We've got almost we're going to be hit 20,000 SKUs here. So we've doubled or tripled every Double. single year. Yeah. And uh, what's really cool about it is the brands who have said we ha we have to have this relationship with Big Box, and they know they have to have it, but they're somewhat hamstrung by it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really one of the challenges of it. Um, we, we, they have looked to us as a true partner because they get to connect with the consumer and they get to explain why they built products a certain way. Cause we have the communication that's personalized that if we know that you fish a lot of drop shots, we can, we can put some of those products in front of you and say like, Hey, check out this from this brand and check out this from this brand, but we don't have to show it to somebody that just frogs or, you know, just pitches docs all day. Sure. Um, we can create that really personalized experience and the brands see that. So what, what's ended up happening is they've seen our rapid growth. Um, but they've also seen our commitment to the consumer. Um, they've also seen that uh, that we're growing so quickly that now all of a sudden the brands are paying attention and they're giving us incredible allocations. I don't think we're going to have a uh, a supply chain issue like we did in 2021. Yeah, well, that's that. You bring up a good point as far as the big box store situation, and really just just through the show, um, I can recall a couple episodes with rod builders or and then folks who have these rod companies, and and my gosh, I mean the situations that they would kind of go through with big box stores and issues that they had. And, and, and like you said, um, 
allocating a certain amount of product and being forced to allocate a certain amount of product is uh, an issue for the industry yeah. in, in general. So, so it's good to hear that some of these suppliers are viewing this as a um, more personalized relationship for you and the consumer and are valuing that. Right, right. And, you know, we're seeing the commitment from those brands who do care about the consumer um, that, that want to connect them. They want to have a relationship with them and they see Omni as, as uh, one of the fastest paths to that. Awesome. Awesome. And, and man, I'm hearing like a little bit of echo. Are you hearing that on my end? Maybe it's in my, yeah, no, 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 no. I think it's, I think it's my echo, but. Oh um, no. Yeah. Sorry. I don't hear it. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, um, you know, I guess in that first, uh, that first window in 2020 and things were, were starting to roll really quickly. Um, what were some of your biggest challenges in that, uh, really that first year where you were, you were shipping, shipping stuff out, obviously you already explained, um, the aspect of just having the product itself, but what were some other, uh, of those beginning challenges once the site was up and orders were taking place? Yeah, well, so probably two big categories. The first being technology. Um, you know, a lot of e-commerce companies don't have a chief technology officer, but because we really are a technology platform, uh, we had to continue to invest in that experience. And so um, that it, it's a hard thing to do. Engineers are hard to find. We were trying to navigate it during COVID. Um, so I think that was probably the hardest thing. And then we have to make bets on, on how we want the site to work to try and service the customer the best way we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that was probably our biggest challenge um, to, to start. And then second was just scale. Uh, when we started the company, we were in a 2,500 square foot warehouse, which is pretty small. Yeah. And um, the space next to us was 7,500 square feet. And we found out that the, that the company that was in that moved out. And so uh, we, we needed more space quickly. And it was like, we're trying to do this during season and uh, trying to forecast demand. Uh, we just outgrew our space so quickly. Wow. And so um, I connected with the, with the guy from the company next door. And I said, can we swap spaces? Because he still need a little space. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah, that sounds great. And like on the dot, I went and got my Sawzall. And I cut this huge hole in the wall in this big warehouse. And we knocked the wall down, but kept it in one piece. And then we put all of our racks on wheels and just wheeled them through the hole. I put the piece back up and we mudded and taped it up and then swapped spaces with him. And it was like, we went from having 2,500 square feet to 7,500 square feet in like an hour. And, uh, and, and it was like, that, but we had to, like it had to work out perfectly <laughs> or else we weren't going to have enough space. So uh, I, those, are ch- those are just crazy challenges. Like if that wouldn't have come around and we wouldn't have had an opportunity like that, um, it wouldn't have worked. Like we, we would have had to like, disappoint a lot of people and uh and so that was that was another really big challenge is just trying to keep up and and sure. uh, now, we, now we knocked down another wall and and so now we're in uh 10,000 square feet wow and uh, we're in the process of trying to find 30,000 square feet right now so it's like just the process of trying to run a business uh you know hundreds and th- hundreds thousands of orders sometimes in a day and uh and then how are you going to pick that up and move that somewhere without having a big disruption uh, it's, it's tough. It's growth. Growth is tough. <laughs> it's exciting, man. It's just having, yeah, finding the real estate to even, uh, to, to keep expanding like that. Um, sounds like you're getting pretty good at knocking down walls. <laughs> exactly. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, th- this, these stories are, are kind of my favorite, uh, the entrepreneurship side of in that last minute situation. Okay. Well, you know, we got to do something. 
here's what we got to do. We got to knock down this wall and, and blow stuff up. I mean, um, it, you know, I guess what's, uh, and, and I saw even how much you lit up in that, like you were very excited there. I mean, in your experience, just in entrepreneurship, uh, in your previous businesses, uh, where has that kind of helped lead you to where you are now as an entrepreneur with Omnia? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I have uh, I've had some entrepreneurial success in my life, and I've done a lot of dumb things, and I've made a lot of mistakes, and I've wasted a lot of time doing some um, doing some really stupid things that uh, that I thought, based on the information that I had at the time and the the skills that I had developed at the time, uh, were the right move, and turned out they weren't, and. Uh, I don't think that somebody who has built a company from idea to a successful exit um, or, or, you know, a functioning product, even, I don't think that that guarantees that the next one's going to work. Mm. And, uh, but it, there is a guarantee that you can streamline the process. There are things that, you know, um, and, and what was cool for me is, is going through that process. When I, when I, uh, when I had uh, sold my first business, I started operating as a, as a mentor. The goal is to always trying to make your local market, um, have successful entrepreneurs that are starting businesses. And there were things that I had screwed up that when I would talk to these entrepreneurs, they were about to screw up as well. And, uh, and I, I had like forgot that I knew that. And I like had a story to explain, like to provide some more details um, to, to how to think through that process. And, um, and so I think you just have the opportunity to streamline a little bit. And, uh, and, and we, and we definitely hit the ground running. Omni almost felt like it kind of, became its own thing and it got off and running on its own. And, uh, and that was a pretty cool, uh, cool process to see. And, and I think that was just strength of the founding team. I, I think it was, um, you know, my partners are, are incredible. They're just really smart people. And, um, and so we just kept building a really smart team at Omnia. And, and I think the result has been, this has grown much faster than we ever could have anticipated. Uh, and, and, and like some things, I, I was just having this conversation with my co-founder, Chris today. Mm -hmm. I, I said, are you amazed at how much people spend on tackle? <laughs> it's like, you, we don't know what that's going to look like and, and you don't know what a cart's going to look like. And uh, we've just been blown away by the response and, and how big the need was. And we've just been able to kind of uh, navigate and avoid some of those pitfalls that we, that we, ha that we caused and, or we went through in the first part of it. And, uh, and we've just been kind of been able to get Omni on a, on a pretty good trajectory for growth. Awesome. Yeah. It, it, the, the comment with the tackle, uh, I, the first thing I noticed with Omnia is when I found the, uh, the whole premium or membership deal, I was like, yeah. this is an absolute bargain because I will blow through that number so fast. It's not even funny <laughs> when it comes right. you're going to get that money back right away, right away. Man. It's, yeah. uh, people are crazy with tackle. And I think that, uh, like if you took a tally of your tackle for your entire life, I think, uh, especially with, with hardcore people, uh, it would be astronomical. The number that people, pe people spend on tackle. <laughs> That's right. It's totally true. It's just wild. Uh, one thing I wanted to go back to there when you were talking about, um, mentoring and that side of things on the entrepreneurial level and, and growing your local area, I guess, is that with a, like a group or, or how does that, I just, I, my own personal curiosity when it comes to that, is that uh, a group in, you know, your local area or how does that exactly work? Yeah. Um, yeah. Good question. So typically in, um, in markets like, like, uh, like the twin cities, which is a sizable city, mm -hmm. you, you end up with, um, 
kind of like some um, groups of people that are stupid enough to try and start a business, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you kind of get plugged into those. And so, like I said, you know, I, I don't think that the fact that you've had some success, there's a lot of luck involved in having success in business. Um, but, but at the same time, kind of figuring some of those things out, those pitfalls that I was mentioning, um, yeah. people want to tap into that and, and, uh, and they want to kind of uh, find out how crazy they actually are in pursuing an idea or, or like what the limitations of their opportunity are. And so um, I just, you know, I knew a lot of CEOs of small startups that were, that had gone on to do fantastic things and have grown some great businesses. Um, they become investors, they become advisors. And I just, these kind of networks um, naturally form. And, and now, so Minneapolis has had um, a pretty good startup scene for quite a, quite a bit of time. And there are actually some CEOs who've had some good, good exits that have built like buildings where they bring in entrepreneurs and like try to help them kind of cultivate their ideas. Um, and I've been plugged into a few of those and I've, I've tried to help out along the way. I've helped fund a few small startup businesses, a couple software companies. Um, and uh, and I've, I've tried to participate to try and give back to the community um, because I, I relied on a lot of people for some advice along the way. And, uh, and so, yeah, so there, there's, there's a, a pretty healthy community of, of people here in most markets where uh, you can kind of tap into and, and try to gain some, some knowledge. Yeah. And, and um, really that was coming from in college. Uh, this was always is a big part of, of my passion has been kind of this fishing side and business entrepreneurial side and same kind of deal. It seems like in these select markets in Denver, in Boulder, in Fort Collins, Colorado, there's these uh, kind of, um, situations where multiple startups are all kind of forming and all these little businesses. And like you said, is and you can rely on each other and, and there's so much uh, value in other people's lessons uh, learned. So you're not the one uh, learning it for the first time. Everyone's going to have first time lessons, but it certainly helps to have someone along the way that's uh, maybe, like you said, seen some of those similar pitfalls. Yeah. yeah and the under, in the kind of the new underdeveloped markets, it's kind of natural uh, where they just come together and it's not like formal incubation. Um, but then you get these programs and like Techstars has a, has a, a couple different programs in Minneapolis where they actually bring entrepreneurs from outside to bring them into the metro um, where, you know, we have really big companies and professional sports teams and like those all become these kind of side mentors to your idea. And, and uh, um, Minneapolis has been a fantastic place to have a fishing company because there are so many anglers here. People speak that language. Um, big companies like Rapala and, and, you know, some of those companies are all here, right here in the Metro. So, um, it's, it's a good place and you can kind of rely on industry vets, people that have started businesses, engineers, um, marketers, things like that to really get your business up and humming. Sure. Sure. And, and then it's, I mean, uh, I feel like those markets are, are beneficial too. another one kind of in the fishing industry that comes to mind. And I could be wrong here, but I believe like in, uh, South Carolina, there's a pile of, of, uh, of, um, kind of these conglomerate companies, uh, within the industry. And I feel like, uh, anytime you're in that situation, you just have such a, uh, springboard for ideas and, and you see some of these, uh, situations where things combine and, and grow and um, create incredible brands. Yeah. Well, we found when we were starting Omnia is we, we met with a lot of these major companies because we had connections to them um, from our previous life. Mm -hmm. And we, we had said, you know, this is what we're going to do. What do you think? And it got such a strong response. They still, they wanted to kind of help. And um, we found that uh, quite a few of the companies were extremely supportive in the early days they still were kind of saying like, I want to see you prove that you're capable of doing what you, cause it's a big endeavor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so uh, we're right at that inflection point now where we've done a lot and, uh, and we've been able to prove and, and we've done a lot of what we said we were going to do. And uh, so from here, it really is about like, how do you stomp on the gas? 
Um, how do you connect with more consumers and, and, uh, and continue to treat them? Like it's kind of easy to treat your customer great when you're small. Um, sure. How do you continue to maintain that and maintain that culture as you grow past it? Um, and, and it really has been a challenge uh, to, to, to figure out how to make sure our voice scales. And, um, and we've enjoyed that whole process, but we're, we're, we're right at that inflection point now where it's time to kind of blast through and, and really grow. And I, I think the bigger that we get, the more vendor relationships we get, the better we can serve customers with product. Um, the bigger our team, the faster our response time, all of that is, uh, is all improvements that we make. We're just going to be bigger and faster. Sure. Sure. No, that's a, it's a really good point. I mean, I think you've seen, uh, everyone in, in some aspect of their life has probably seen, uh, both sides of being a consumer in a situation where, you know, your mom and pop shop was just incredible customer service. And then as something grows and, and takes off, uh, to the point where it's not necessarily even the company's not trying to provide less of a service. They just literally have so much more demand. Um, so I, I, I think that that is an incredible challenge to, uh, to overcome. And it sounds like you guys are right at that point and, and looking to uh, excel in that aspect of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we just doubled our warehouse team, just doubled our customer support team. We're really picky. We spent a lot of time with that process. And, uh, and so far, we've, we've seen good results. Awesome. Awesome. Well, one question I have too, and, and, and just scrolling through, and this is a, a very, uh, just on my part of not really fully understanding some of this, um, these, I would say, in, investors and these different angel investing groups and all this kind of a thing. Scrolling through kind of Omnia's pages, you can see these different um, investors uh, associated. I mean, is that just, was that process your previous relationships in being around all this kind of a thing to where you guys were able to get some of that capital? I mean, uh, is this uh, kind of a commonplace that you're seeing in the industry as a whole right now? What's kind of your thoughts around that sort of a thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, as I mentioned that these kind of informal groups kind of start popping up um, once, once there's been some successful startups and exits and, and uh, in our market. And so some of our early fundraising did come local. Mm -hmm. um, we've expanded from there and, and, and we've, we've now had uh, more national venture capital that has, has looked at our business. Uh, and so the, the early part really was tapping into an existing network. Um, but it's, it's a grind. You're, you're out pitching and trying to sell this dream of what you think you can build mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and trying to build a narrative to that. Uh, we were really lucky. We, we were able to connect with some angel groups in the early stage. One of them, one of the biggest one is called Gopher Angels, which is in Minneapolis. Uh, Gopher Minneapolis, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. and, uh, and Gopher has a, a fairly formal process, which is kind of nice. Uh, they bring all of these uh, institute, or they bring all of these accredited investors together, and then you get to pitch like a big auditorium, and um, and then you get to connect directly with the ones that that show interest in what you're doing, and uh, and so that was kind of what kickstarted our business, yeah, and uh, and we use that to like hire the engineering to get the technology all built quickly. Um, we had to build out our algorithm, which is fairly complex. And so we were bringing in engineers to, to help with that process. And then it kind of lays the foundation to start with the stocking and, and, uh, and start to build out our warehouse operation. Um, so, so we started pretty small and we just kind of like, we set milestones for ourselves and we said, you know, we need enough money to get to this next milestone, raise that round, get to the next milestone. And, um, and, and, so far, we've you know we've stayed so focused. We've been very capital efficient, 
And, mm -hmm. uh, and the goal is to build a very big business without having to raise a ton of money. I, I'm, I come from the world where I don't believe that raising a lot of money is an indication that you've done something great. Um, you might be a great fundraiser or you have a great network. Um, but we want to do as much as we can with as little as possible. And, and so far, we've, we've been able to be very capital efficient. Sure. And I mean, you're seeing that just uh, currently with what's going on um, in the stock market and things, interest rates increasing. You're just seeing on the public side of things, these companies that have just tons and tons of funds built in um, valuations being slashed dramatically from that standpoint. So I'm, I, uh, I, I share that same background of, of being uh, cash efficient and, and being as, as much as you can self-sustaining. That's a, a good mindset to have in, in my opinion, my very uh, not uh, non-professional opinion. <laughs> yeah. If, if you stay customer focused uh, it, it will require that you're very capital efficient Um because you can't grow at all costs. I mean, it really is like if, if we would we would uh, miss um, talking to another customer if it meant that we got to keep talking to an existing customer. And, th and those are, once you've already acquired customers, it's way cheaper to keep that person. And uh, and and so you remain very capital efficient if you stay focused on the customer. And we we've done that. Um, and then I think one of our challenges is actually identifying where the bulk of our customer base comes from. And mm. we actually think a lot of it is word of mouth. And so we've got quite a few affiliate partners and um, and people that have said, I've mentioned that my friends should buy from Omnia and they come back and they thank me. And I think as long as we keep getting that feedback, we've done something right. Sure, sure. You don't have to pay for that. You just have to treat your customers right. You have to give them what you would expect. And, and, and I think we, we, we got to keep that attitude for sure. Absolutely. Uh, as far as a geographic region, I'm curious, what are, what are you seeing or is this uh, spread all over the United States? What, where are you kind of seeing large, uh, large groups of your customer base? Yeah. In, um, in 2020, if you'd asked me, I'd have said it was predominantly the Midwest. Sure. And, uh, and that's just where our reach was. Uh, in 2021, we shipped all 50 states, and uh, and it was it was pretty cool to do. Like even Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> I was gonna say, wow! I mean, yeah. Alaska makes sense. There's a lot of fish. I guess there is a bunch of fishing in Hawaii too, but that's uh, that's incredible. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and so uh, we shipped all 50 states, and then uh, I think like four provinces in Canada. And uh, we have a pretty good customer base in the Toronto area, kind of where that there's like kind of a a bass hub right there, just kind of northwest of of Toronto. Sure. And we we um. We just um, have very quickly seen um, th there's not a lot of seasonality to our business anymore. There's some. There's always going to be some seasonality, but we'd have a big spike as we came into the season in the Midwest, and then it would kind of tip down in September, and then not really recover in the mm. winter until we came back into season. And um, we're not seeing that anymore. So uh, when when things get too cold up here, we do stock a little bit of ice to keep our local customer uh, um, the things that they need, but we start seeing our sales shift to Florida and Texas and the Southeast and, uh, you know, Alabama and, and those people are coming back online January and February. So our sales are actually continuing to accelerate. And, uh, and that seasonality is kind of uh, pulled out quite a bit. We, we also think about growth of our business to not only, um, have the right products and selection to service. Uh, so like in Florida, you have to have gambler soft plastics. Otherwise sure. you, you have to have those brands. <laughs> that That's right. So um, uh, we've had to expand there and, and think about like our marketing strategy and also our stocking strategy to make sure we appeal to that, to that, uh, that region. Um, but we don't just judge our ability to make transactions in the state as a success. We also want to see engaged customers because 
the way we help our our the the consumers that that want advice is the fishing reports that come in after purchase. So somebody will go out and buy some baits, they go out and fish and they come back and they say, this is the one that worked really great. This was the hot bait mm-hmm. and they'll file a fishing report. Now, if, if you go in and you're going fishing Florida and you click into a fishing report on Lake Toho and you buy based on that fishing report, you actually give tackle, we give tackle credit back to the person that, that wrote it. And, uh, and so we're trying to create this community of people talking about baits and indicating hot baits. Well, that keeps training our algorithm, make it smarter and smarter and smarter so we can make really good recommendations. And it's not always down to that one bait, but it's, it's to a, a, a range of baits the way Technique we classify or, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so we, we judge our growth based on our ability to uh, get customers to file these fishing reports and then earn based on if we can connect them with somebody that reads it. And um, we have generated unbelievable amounts. It has exceeded all of our expectations. The people have responded really positively to it. So thousands and thousands of fishing reports in all in 46 states. So we're not at 50 yet. So no Montana, no Wyoming, no Alaska, no Hawaii. So there we oh, are. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> all your friends. You're not that far from Wyoming. I know, man. I, mean, I was just going to say, uh, every once in a while, I do, I'll go up and do some trout fishing or something in, in yeah. Wyoming. We don't have any, we're really bass focused. So that's probably the reason that we don't have anything there, but so thousands of fishing reports across 46 States. We we've, we've been pretty excited about that. And, and that has shown that our customer base really has gone national. And, uh, and so both shipping and engagement are, are both very high right now across the whole United States. Awesome. Awesome. And, 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 in your comment, as far as being very bass oriented, uh, is there another, I mean, especially being the Midwest, are you seeing a, um, are you trying to carry anything walleye related or musky related? Or, I mean, what's your, that kind of customer base look like compared to the bass guys? Yeah, we, we have just enough product to be able to service them very thin. So if, if you're planning to go um, maybe catch some bass um, and then the kids are going to try and catch some walleye or some panfish, we have enough to outfit pretty much everybody. But we haven't gone deep in any other species in a way that allows us to um, to to make our whole model work where you can, you have such wide selection that you can recommend the products that you're actually using, um, in your fishing reports. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I think it's a mistake to just go too wide, too fast. It'd be really hard for us to keep up the, the quality of, of our bass products. And it would dilute out if we were to start really pushing hard in other species. Um, another national species that I, I that I think is next for us is crappie. And oh, that, yeah. that industry is changing so much. You think like the electronics and how they're using them um, and the, the baits and, uh, and, and crappie gear is getting cool. So um, I, I could see cool. starting to expand there at some point. Um, we do have some partnerships that we haven't announced yet, some, um, some relationships that will help us get there faster. But we've stayed laser focused just because of the size of the bass industry. It's, it's a language we speak. Most of our employees are big bass heads. And, um, and so we'll, we'll stay really focused there and we're not going to lose focus on that. Um, even when we do expand into, um, some other species. Sure. Well, uh, two comments there, I guess one would be, I mean, the bass industry, uh, what's your thought process or what's your, your thoughts, I guess, just in general on the bass, what, why the bass industry versus the other ones? I mean, is there, is there just that big of a size difference? I mean, you're talking to someone who lives and breathes only the bass fishing industry. So I really don't look at anything else, but is it just that much larger than everything else? 
It is. It is substantially larger. Hmm. So we we deal today in everything um, hand to fish's mouth. So anything between your hand and the, and the fish's mouth, and uh, it's like four to five billion dollars in transactions in the United States. And bass is like sixty-five or seventy percent of it. It's it's wow. absolutely unbelievable how big that is. Um, and so uh, it, it is by far the biggest. Um, but the, but what I mentioned about crappie being national, bass is also national. So um, you know even if you have a, a another you know small mouth or spots or stripes or whatever, yeah. um, you, you're still dealing with the entire United States. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's great that you can build those relationships across the entire United States and, and service um, a really large uh, group of participants. Sure. And, and I think the, uh, I mean, that's what draws a lot of anglers to bass fishing. It's what drew me to tournament bass fishing. I'm in Colorado. It's not a state for tournament bass fishing by any means, but we have tournaments, we have these bass lakes and we can travel. And, um, that is, uh, that, that makes sense maybe to why that number is so large is they, they live anywhere. That's what makes them so cool. They can live in something that is, is gross and <laughs> look, looking in muddy water and all this stuff to super gin clear water at Lake Havasu or in, um, Nevada. So it's, it's a completely, uh, they're so resourceful, those fish, they can eat anything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you'll find some walleyes in, I think there's some walleyes in Oklahoma and some deep lakes in like Tennessee and Kentucky, but bass are everywhere. Yeah. Well, my second comment to all, uh, the, the crappie deal, I am, I have just with forward facing sonar, I have went from strictly bass fishing to also now looking around and seeing these schools of crappie everywhere Yeah, and then, uh, going ahead and, and catching those fish. So I, I agree. I think that there is a huge uptick right now from bass guys who have been traditionally just bass heads and going straight to the crappie world because of what they're learning from their electronics. Right. You know, and, and I think there are some websites that have just tackle gear and that's great for just bass, uh, just, sorry, just have uh, just bass gear. And, uh, and that's great for big selection for people that know what they're looking for, but our system is really easy to flip a switch and you say, I'm, I'm looking for bass stuff and we show those products and say, I'm just looking for crappie stuff and just show those products. I'm just looking for bass stuff. Just show those fishing reports. I'm looking for, you know, you can switch between species really quickly. And, uh, and then when you build your profile at Omnia, you actually indicate your top species, you indicate, uh, um, the lakes that you fish. And, um, and, and when you do that, it, it allows us to give you this very personalized experience. So even when we expand into walleye, walleye stuff's not going to pop up for you. So it creates this unique experience that kind of follows you around and, uh, and, and, and make sure that the entire experience is very personalized. And if you fish in Florida, you're going to see baits that work great for Florida. If you fish in Minnesota, you're going to see greats that fish that, that are great for Minnesota. Um, and then if you want to see everything, you can see everything. Um, sure. but we, we, we want to refine it down. So you get this very personalized experience. Awesome. Awesome. Well, a lot of uniqueness there and, uh, just been, uh, an incredible, just messing around on the side and looking at all the different things and looking at how many people, uh, again, I think of when I think of Colorado in the, in the bass fishing space, I think of such a small percentage of that, but the amount of lakes that have reports on them is just, uh, incredible. So, uh, it seems to, everything seems to be just taking off. So congratulations with everything. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, uh, we're excited about the, the growth. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Matt, uh, don't want to take too much more of your time up here. Uh, I'd like to end every show with a couple of questions. Number one being with everything that you have gone through in creating Omnia and, and building this business um, and everything entrepreneurship wise, what is your 
biggest piece of advice to someone who is maybe at the beginning stage there of maybe they have a concept that they really feel would fix a big problem and and be go to that next level what would be your biggest piece of advice be to to someone like that hmm. and maybe put it into two categories i'd say first i'd say um Gather as much information as you can, build a really strong financial model, like really understand what it's going to take to build your business um, and try and think in these major milestones. Um, and the milestones should be driven by, um, if, it's, if it's investment or whatever it is, I, you have to get somewhere, whether that's profitable, like you have to define your journey. And I think, I think building that good financial model, so you understand what you're targeting and then make sure that you understand kind of where those milestones are along the way. And then I'll preface that by saying plan and spend a lot of time planning, but don't plan too long. Like you, you just have to go at some point. And uh, um, I always joke when we, when we, uh, when we raised our, our first round of capital, there, I think it was Reed Hoffman who started face, uh, LinkedIn. He said, uh, if you're not completely embarrassed by the first product you release, you've launched too late. <laughs> and, and, and I'd say like, we did a great job of that. Like it was pretty embarrassing. Like you, you can act, but it was, it was really embarrassing. So don't wait too long. Like don't, don't refine and refine and refine, like start driving towards that milestone and understand what that kind of, what that, those, that critical path looks like. Um, but plan, but plan enough. <laughs> sure. Find There's, that balance, try and strike that balance and ask for help on that. <laughs> sure. There's like a balance there, but I, I agree. I think so many people spend their lives planning and planning and, and that action step is, uh, is, where you're going to learn everything and, and yeah. move quickly. Yeah. I mean, like, like some people that move fast are, are sometimes chaotic and, and, uh, and reckless to, into based on, you know, relative to some other people, other thought process. And, uh, and I've probably been accused of that, but you know, it helps if you're ready to just grind it out and keep rolling, like just go, just and, go, just go. <laughs> I like it, man. I like it. Well, and I know uh, you sent me some photos of some, some uh, dude, a giant muskie, a giant walleye. But on the bass front, I like to ask every guest, um, do you know your biggest largemouth and smallmouth and what you caught them on or where you were? You know, I'm uh, surprisingly, even though we're very bass focused, I'm not a big bass guy. So I grew up in northern it's Wisconsin. Big predators, man. You sent me those photos. I was like, these are big. These are really big. By the way, that is not a walleye. That's a Xander. That's in uh, the Baltic Sea in Sweden. So that's a, that's a Xander. So so it's actually kind of cheating because they grow faster. So I was like, say they're bigger, right? Aren't they a little yeah, bigger? Yeah. They, they they're bigger, but they're, they're a little bigger, but they just grow so fast. So like the 30 inch mark is like, pretty achievable and i was like 31 inches um so i was cheating i just want to clarify i'm not a cheater but um <laughs> the, the uh the i really don't have a lot of big largemouth i i really yeah. about three pounds is the biggest largemouth i've ever caught and i caught it in a lake just north of my house here in the metro and i horsed it out with the jig fishing with a, a buddy of mine awesome. and uh and so that's probably the biggest largemouth and then um i have caught some pretty decent sized smallmouth I, I don't know full sizes but um, I'm a big uh, canoe guy, and uh, we have this area in northern Minnesota called the Boundary Waters. And oh, really? That's great. That's One time, great. man, is incredible. But sorry, go ahead. That place is. No, yeah. I want to hear more about that. But um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in the Boundary Waters and uh, walleye and smallmouth. I typically target target smallmouth lakes um, when okay. we're doing our base camping um, and where we're going to stop. So uh, I've caught some, you know, good twenties. Uh, smallmouth bass and uh, and up there, and then I've also got smallmouth on a fly rod. That's a really incredible experience too. Yeah, um, in the Mississippi River. Um, 
So that that's a, that's pretty cool. Not nothing like to take big pictures of or, or be too excited about, but sure. Um, that's that would say is the best experience is catching a smallie, which is such a great fighting fish, and to do it on a fly rod is pretty great. Awesome, yeah. And then uh, I guess probably none up there, but on all your travels, have you ever caught any spotted bass? I have caught a spot in. Um, I don't know that I've caught a spot. Um, <laughs> I've caught some variants in North Carolina. Oh, and yeah. um, so I'm originally from North Carolina. I was a military brat and um, my sister actually lives in the Charlotte area on Lake Norman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I've been down and we've caught some fish down there, but I think those are stripes. Well, there's, there's some spots in Norman for there's sure. And spots in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember nothing big, but um, we have definitely caught some non large mouth uh, gotcha. in there. Yeah. So anyways, quick on the, on the boundary waters, I, uh, between my senior year of high school and college, I did a trip with my dad, uh, to the boundary waters and we, uh, yeah, I mean, it was nine days is with a group of friends from Colorado and it was incredible. I mean, just, yeah, like I, I just, some of those fish I've never seen anything before and, uh, got some big pike and walleye and smallmouth. I, I had my previous personal best to this year was a small mouth out of the boundary waters. And I actually caught a really big Northern strain, large mouth in the boundary waters, like a awesome. four and a half, five pounder. Um, but I didn't, I That's had awesome. no idea there was large mouth there and I thought it was a pike and it was for sure a large mouth. Wow. I didn't know that either. That's, that's wild. Just one. That's cool. That's really cool. It's, it's a great place, special place in my heart. I actually did my bachelor party there. So no way. Yeah. That's, that's what I I, I got married. My wife and I had been together. My girlfriend at the time had been together for a really long time. So I was in my thirties. I'm like, I don't want to go downtown and just party and get wasted. I want to go fishing in the boundary waters. And so my brother arranged it and uh, like 12 of us went up and just base camped and just fished and drank and had a good time. (laughs) <laughs> that's that sounds like my kind of bachelor party that's uh that's awesome you guys need to make that like a i don't know every 10 years or something a trip that's right that's, it's coming up it's, it's tradition. Coming there up. You go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome man well matt uh i really appreciate you taking the time out man you had some awesome insight and just uh this is what this show is all about are hearing these entrepreneurial stories and everything around omnia so thanks again for coming on and i will uh let you get back to your evening all right, I gotta go tame, corral the cat, the kids. The kids? I thought you said yeah. the cat, the cat or the kids. Both. <laughs> they seem like cats. Corralling the cat seems like what I'm actually doing. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Good yep. seeing you. Absolutely. Good to see you. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.